is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We know from, from past experience watching Mueller that he is keenly sensitive to media narratives and how media uh, tend to cover himself and his team. But the question I have is why should an independent, uh, supposedly impartial investigator like Mueller care what the, the media is saying, especially if his work speaks for itself? Democrats have got to stop obsessing over something that never happened and start engaging with the president to fix some of the real problems that are happening right in front of their faces, like the problem at the border. We'll continue to call on Mexico and take actions necessary to see to it that Mexico does their job to ensure that this mass exodus and humanitarian crisis comes to an end. And now, Stacy Washington. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us on this fantastic Friday. And guess what? We're going to be discussing some kind of tough, tough stuff today. Um, so if you think the airwaves were heated up yesterday and it was a little too hot for you, then welcome to the weekend. Still going to happen. OK, so uh, it's May 31st and we're going to talk today with Nicholas Grossman. He's an international re uh, relations professor at the University of Illinois. He's a national security political analyst and he's going to join us to talk about Mueller's endgame. And this is an important conversation for us to have because we have to understand and fully unpack what is going on with our government? Why is it seem seemingly tilted against Republicans and their administration, uh, even with the voters giving control to the Republicans, giving Republicans the Senate? We're still seeing a kind of gridlock that could only be possible if the Democrats were still in charge. So we've got to understand that he's going to join us to talk about that. And he's a fan favorite. And then we're also going to be discussing the degradation of rap music, programming the de degeneration of black, <laughs> black America, a uh, little tongue tied there. And then we're going to talk about the president slapping Mexico with tariffs. So I'm going to explain to you exactly what they are, why he's doing it and what impact we think it's going to have. And then we'll kind of delve into uh, Attorney General Barr sitting down with Jan Crawford from CBS this morning. And of course, you know. Other things. We'll take your calls at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So the degradation of black America through rap music. Exactly what, what you're like, I know there's some people who are listening who are thinking, uh, how, how bad could it be? Well, if you don't listen to rap music, you probably don't realize how bad it truly is. Um, and, and, you know, I think... I want to be careful here because I have previously listened to rap music. And at the time I was in my twenties and um, my early thirties and, you know, our kids were really young and, and as the kids began to come and then also get a little bit older, like when they got into their toddler years, it'd be sometimes where I'd hear something in rap music and I'd think, wait a minute, this, this is a song that I like, and this is completely inappropriate. And so it was kind of a, a sea change for me personally, as I began to really, study the scriptures as a mom and kind of bring everything together, I could see where rap music didn't really fit in with a Christian lifestyle. But it wasn't that I then said, you know, all rap music is bad. I just said, well, you know, people listen to different things when they're in their 20s than they do when they're in their 30s and 40s, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's even more to it than that, because as the years have gone by, um, I've seen a, a market shift in what rap music actually is. Now, there's always been a cadre of rappers who've been very positive and kind of 
looking for cultural change and rapping about this, the degeneration that goes on in inner cities in America. But it has been um, kind of a progression where that core group of individuals who are putting out something that might be construed as positive or that has a message in it, that number of rappers has gotten considerably smaller while the degrading nature of rap music has continued to explode. Those rappers who participate in that, they're, they're, they're actually so much larger in their uh, representation than any other group. So I want to go into this from this article that I read earlier this morning. It uh, starts out with a question. Are the artists who are currently representing the rap music industry actually expressing the real conditions of their environment or are they creating a false reality based on what's in demand? Now, on this program, I think it was maybe over a year ago, I talked about a pastor who spoke of his interactions with a black church. Uh, He was involved with their youth ministry and then he went on to work with other areas and he realized something in close interaction with black people, which was that, you know, the, the black people in that church and the community he was working in were nothing like the blacks that he thought he would interact with based upon what popular culture tells you black people are. And so there are a few things that are like prerequisites for what's called a pop and song nowadays. And why is this relevant? Like, I just want to take a quick second, put a pin in it. If you're thinking, ah, I'm going to, you know, this isn't, this isn't relevant to me. If you have anybody in your life, niece, nephew, child, grandchild, who's in the teen years, they're listening to rap music. It doesn't matter what ethnic background you are or your relations are. Teenagers today listen to rap music. I know this because of interactions with our own children and with their friends. Rap music as, is as ubiquitous as apple pie, going to the movies, pumping gas, speaking English. It's everywhere. One of my favorite realizations for this was once I was on Instagram. And at the time I was following some women who kind of do like interior design pics of their homes. And so I followed them on Instagram. And um, one night, this because it's a group of them that you follow one and you end up following the others. And they kind of share each other's content and do these, you know, hosted posts and all of that. And they were having a dinner party at their house. And these people are all in their 50s. And they all happen to be of the non-permanent tan variety people. And they were playing hardcore rap music at this dinner party they were having. And they were dancing around to it. And I thought, what is this? Why are these interior design bloggers in their 50s and 60s, some of these people with full heads of gray hair, dancing to rap music? And in that moment, I realized I'm, I'm not in the herd. I'm outside of the normal experience and not listening to rap music because it has actually exploded outside of teenagers and it's mainstream to listen to the F-bomb, all kinds of profanity and these other norms. Like if you are listening to popular rap music, you're going to hear someone probably black must be murdered for the slightest confrontation. Somebody who's probably black needs to have intimate relations with someone else's probably black significant other. Someone who is probably black must steal someone's money or property, probably another black person. Someone who's probably black must avoid any healthy or constructive method of gaining a livable income. And someone must be completely intoxicated at all times and under no circumstances is sobriety acceptable or favorable. Now, this circles back around to that pastor that I mentioned. He gave a TED Talk. Um, And in that TED talk, he discussed how, and this is, this is absolutely stunning. 
he did a little research and looked into the companies that regularly advertise on the stations that play rap music with the explicit lyrics that sponsor the labels that put out the explicit lyric music. The connections between major corporations and explicit lyrics and rap music is not even hidden. It's not secret. It's not, it's not anything that's, you know, we're doing this, but it's kind of under the table. That's how you know it's mainstream when Walmart is sponsoring it. When other companies that, you know, you, you look in your, your laundry room and on your shelf in there, you see the products there. Those companies, the products that you're using to get your clothes clean, the products that you see in your bathroom shelf on your counter, those companies sponsor rap music. They openly support this degradation. So this pastor went into this big expose about how if we had music that said you should kill puppies the way rappers talk about killing black people, black women, if white women were called the same names that black women are routinely characterized in rap music, we would see an out, out, out there would be an outcry. There'd be an uproar. And I want to also point out, because I said this yesterday, but it bears repeating, if the abortion rate in the white community was approaching 40%, if 40% of white people had been aborted, then it would be a national health crisis. It would not be, well, it's a choice. It's, you know, so the treatment of black people in America, and it's part our fault for accepting it, for not crying out about it, for not as a community rejecting this wholesale. This is what is degrading black people in this country. Children who grow up listening to how you need to be high, you need to be intoxicated all the time, instead of listening to music that tells them the way to success is X, Y, and Z, music that characterizes black relationships as purely sexual without any kind of emotional interaction, all of these things are going, being poured into the psyche of children, black, white, and otherwise across the country, and making it acceptable for there to be this dichotomy in what is valued. Well, what would be really interesting is to see Black Lives Matter take up this argument. And instead of saying we're against police officers or we're against authority or we're against, you know, apprehending criminals, for them to say the real difference in how lives matter in this country is the fact that more black babies are aborted than any other ethnic background. The fact that more women of color are degraded on a daily basis, 24 hours a day on television and on radio than any other ethnic group. If you want to talk about lives mattering, why not discuss it from the perspective that people made in the image of God are being degraded for profit and the soap companies and dishwashing companies and car companies, construction companies, home improvement companies, they're all partaking of not just the promotion of this horrible material, but the profit taking from it as well. And that American parents... God love us because I know how hard it is to watch over your kids. My kids aren't perfect. I know how often it is that I think, oh, things like, you know, it's the minute you think everything seems to be so calm and quiet, that's when you find out your kid's been doing something and, and hiding it from you and you had no idea. You get that phone call and you're like, my kid's been what? That happens to the best of us and the worst of us. It happens to all of us because we're all in the same boat with kids. So if we can't stop kids from watching 13 Reasons, we certainly aren't stopping kids from listening to rap music. And yes, it is personal responsibility for the kids. You have to teach kids not to want to consume that material. But we're also fighting in a culture that we live and swim in on a daily basis. 
And so the question is, because I, 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 this really hit home with me after yesterday, I'm going on about how black women have more abortions than any other ethnic group. And we have someone call into the show and say, white women are poor too and have abortions too. Yeah. And the sky is blue. And you know what, I mean, what kind of irrelevant, pointless, you know, interaction was that? Like what, what a waste of my time. I wish I could get those two minutes back. It's not about that other people aren't doing it. It's about this culture that promotes death and degradation to our American kids. And while you're busy pointing the finger and saying, well, other people are having abortions too. It's 40% of the black community that's been aborted. I said maybe eight years ago, maybe 10 years ago, that as the inner city black experience in America goes, so goes the rest of the nation. Because decades ago, it was black communities that were plagued by violence, by abortion, by drug use. And now we see it in the suburbs. It was black women, black girls who were having an explosion in the out of wedlock birth rate. Now that has spread to not just white women in their teens and white and and Hispanic girls in their teens. It spread to adult women, adult women, millennials actually have a high out of wedlock birth rate. They're living with their boyfriends and having babies with them. It's a culture that has been normalized by the proliferation of rap music and hip hop music, and it has spread out. And now it is a culture that permeates every ethnic experience. And so I just, I, I'm, I don't hate anybody, but I don't like to have the, the issue that I am expounding upon turned into a, well, here you tell. That's not appropriate for this subject matter where we have kids learning how basically to wreck their lives and end up in jail or in the gutter somewhere dead. And all we can do is point out who else, well, who else is doing it? Other people who are different ethnic backgrounds are doing it too. Not only is that unintelligent and unworthy of this discussion, but it is a distractionary tactic that means to take away from the discussion at hand. And so this isn't about, well, I need to have this on during hour two when the black people will hear it. This is an issue that's impacting all Americans. We should all be concerned about it. It started in the black community, but now it's everywhere. And we've got to stop it, not by our own might and power, but by the grace of God. His word says it can be done and we've got to do it. We'll be back with more after this. The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry, and it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. 
Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with the Legacy Moment. Some time ago, I went on an extended trip. I did a lot of speaking and signed a lot of books and heard a lot of nice things said about me and spoke to large crowds. Well, when I got home, Karen and I visited a church. It was a rather small church and nobody knew me there. I felt a little bit uncomfortable there and I couldn't figure out why. Then it hit me. I said to myself, Crawford, buddy, you're not the center of attention. That's what the problem is. You need to do what you've told others to do, and that is check your ego at the cross. I sort of chuckled and said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for the reminder. Isn't it amazing? Pride is a very subtle, sneaky enemy. Sometimes it manifests itself by whom we choose to associate with and the status we seek. I've come to the conclusions that whom we make room for in our lives says an awful lot about who and what we value. Listen to these words in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17. This is strong and direct language. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven, which are an abomination to him. The first one on his list is haughty eyes. God hates haughty eyes. What are haughty eyes? I think simply stated, it's seeking stature and prominence, looking beyond people, minimizing them, demeaning them, saying that some are more inherently valuable than others. Humility and servanthood is where God wants us to live. That's right. Humility and servanthood is where God wants us to live. Well, here's what I want you to remember and do today. Let's examine our hearts for arrogance and pride. Let's ask God to take the hunger for status and recognition out of our hearts. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, welcome. Welcome back to the program. Um, find out more about us at stacyontheright.com, also afr.net and urbanfamilytalk.com. And our news site is onenewsnow.com. It's a great place to get your news and information from, unbiased and completely well-written, researched, and verified information that you can get. OneNewsNow.com is the website for that. Uh, let's go to Mark in Ohio before we get to our guest. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Stacy. I had called Hi. in several months ago, and we had talked about Alex- Alexis de Tocqueville's quote, America's great because America's good, and the pulpit's being aflame with righteousness is what mm. he saw as the key to our greatness. I am really alarmed by an, in, an issue that is going on now with James McDonald, a pastor who has been let go of a megachurch. He's been asked to step down. He's in the Chicago area, and it has been, it has, um, been discovered in the past couple weeks that in addition to all the stuff he has been um, charged with, I guess you'll say, for the past couple months, he has also threatened a man by trying to take a contract out on this guy to have him killed. Um, this guy is a criminal. But he is the criminal of a. He used to be the criminal pastor of a mega church, right? And the I Chicago area are, mega church, right? Yes, uh, I've been yes. reading about him, but I I'm, so I haven't really covered the story on here because it's uh, we. I don't usually do any reporting on pastors. I think I might have mentioned it in passing that he had been removed from his church. But go on. You said it's a huge issue. My my concern is is that men like this. He's alone, as far as I know, as far as criminal activity, but there's men like him that were never called to the ministry, 
and they are accumulating, for lack of a better term, thousands of people in megachurches. And it's like, where is the discernment of our people that these men can become so prominent when they've got, they are so, I hate to say it, flawed, and I really question whether they were ever called to the ministry at all. Hmm. No, I, I agree. But one of the things, so anyone can be deceived. Churches have had bad leadership in the past. And, and I'll just say one, one thing I do respect this church for is that as popular as he was, they have let him go and they have removed him. And they just continue to discover more bad things that he's done and, and that he's been up to. And he has not handled his fall well, but they've taken appropriate action. And, it, you know, the discernment, obviously, it, something was missed. But I, I hate to blame the congregation because when, like, as a member of our congregation, I have little interaction with our with our pastor other than seeing him preach and watching him on Facebook and YouTube because we go to a mega church of like 5,500 people. Um, I have actually met him before and I know his wife pretty well, but all I can do is check what he preaches on Sunday with the scripture. And that's what I encourage people to do is to check what your pastor is preaching to you with the scripture, make sure that it is scripturally and doctrinally sound. And as long as that's going on, you know, pray for your pastor and you have to leave the rest up to uh, the church leadership. I, I do appreciate you bringing up that issue. We have to get to our guests. Thank you so much for calling the show. It's my pleasure to welcome frequent guest of the program and good friend of the show, Nicholas Grossman, international relations professor at the University of Illinois and national security po- political analyst. Nick, thanks for joining us today. Hi, Stacy. Thanks for having me on. All right, let's talk about this Mueller thing. I've been I've been going over, you know, the Mueller like the Mueller report and the reaction of the Mueller report and this possibility of impeachment. And so I was kind of shocked to see him come out after he'd said the report was the report. Um, and there had been back channel that he would never go before Congress to testify. And then all of a sudden, there he is standing there looking frail and like he's been beaten up for two or three days. and He's just like on a hostage video. And you know, kind of softly saying it's up to Congress now, which is completely outside of what he is supposed to do as the special prosecutor. So I thought it was mostly trying to, or at least in part, trying to preempt congressional hearings of, you know, getting up there. He's heard a lot of chatter about people, um, you know, subpoenaing him or congressional Democrats uh, bringing him down to ask questions. And um, so he stood up there and said, I really don't want to do that, that I think, you know, my, my work speaks for itself. And Personally, I think that that is the way that Democrats should go, that one of the things Mueller has managed to do, which almost nobody has been able to do these days, is to stay above the fray. That, you know, obviously that different politicians have opinions about him and about his work, and, um, you know, so do I, and we bring it into that. But he and his office, they never leaked. They didn't comment on this stuff. They haven't, you know, come out and said, I like the president or I don't, or anything like that. And so I think it would be a mistake to bring him before Congress and put him in that circus of an environment. Well, it's a circus of an environment, but (laughs) I think his concern is that the Republicans would poke holes in the report that he's put out. Do you see that? Probably um, some of them and, uh, you know, ask questions. I think Democrats would ask follow ups that uh, a lot of them are mostly looking for an opportunity to try to get him on camera saying something like, uh, yes, I think Trump should be impeached, which, you know, he's never going to say, uh, and, uh, or something like, uh, you're right, the whole thing was a hoax, it was all made up, which, of course, he's also not going to say. <laughs> right. So he's going to be, he, he's, 
he would be placed in between a rock and a hard place, which, in my opinion, that's where he already is, right? Mm-hmm. I think his job is just incredibly tough uh, uh, the whole time, where I mean, so much pressure from different angles, where there's a really strong national security component. And this, I thought, came through clearly in his, uh, in his speech, in his little statement um, earlier this week, that uh, he started off by saying um, the most important thing that happened uh, is that Russia conducted a extensive intelligence operation um, against the U.S. election, that a number of uh, Russians connected to the government or working for the government committed a lot of crimes, broke a lot of U.S. laws, and that that's the most important part of the investigation. He also closed his statement with that. And on that part, I agree with him. Um, I even took the first part of the report from sections that were on specifically Russian intelligence operations, and I assigned it to students in my American foreign policy class. I imagine I'm going to be doing that for years. It gave a really good insight uh, into how they're trying to manipulate not just the United States, but a lot of countries in Western Europe, too. So talk to me a little bit about so you said the first the first portion of the report it goes to your students and they're they're learning about that um and and this is not a new thing russian uh, attempts to influence american elections that's not new we do it too so what are you trying to get your students to get out of that if they're studying that part of the report to figure out how intelligence and propaganda works in the social media age so you're right that you know russia has been doing propaganda in the united states uh, tries to put its thumb on the scale in various elections around the world. Um, that part's true. The new part, and the part that I find so interesting about this, um, is how uh, first it involves the um, hacking of uh, various Democrats and people associated with the Clinton campaign and then releasing that information um, at strategic times. And then also it includes all of the influence operations. Those are the infamous Russian trolls who um, were spending millions of dollars a month on people who would sit in a room in St. Petersburg and spend a lot of their time pretending to be Americans and talk to different Americans on um, things like, you know, Twitter, Facebook, uh, elsewhere in comment sections, um, and in general try to stoke division. So I'll give you a, a good example of this. Um, if you remember the issue with football players kneeling in protest, mm-hmm. that there's evidence of some of these Russian trolls directed by the government played both sides of that issue. So... Um, they had, you know, various posts on, say, Facebook or Twitter saying, um, like, oh, these are patriotic Americans just trying to protest. How can you say that about them? And then flip it around uh, and also say or have, you know, different people pretending to be different Americans uh, say things like, you know, how dare you disrespect the flag like that? And these people are being so selfish and really try to soak division and have us at each other's throats. And that part is newer because we didn't have those interactions with anonymous people on the internet before. Yeah, I I saw some of the ones, like there was even one guy who set up a meet and greet. Um, So it was an American citizen in Florida who sets up, you know, kind of like little rallies and meet and greets for people who are in what was then the Trump movement that was kind of, kind of exploding after Trump won the, uh, the nomination on the Republican party. And, so they had a meetup and they didn't know that the person who originally called for the meetup and organized it was actually one of these Russian trolls over, you know, not even in this country. And then they reported they, they the news media kind of confronted, I think it was actually a woman confronted her outside her home. And she was like, so you think I knew it was a Russian who organized this? She said that it's, it's not an influence operation if we actually got together and met and had a good time and talked about 
you know, strategies for helping Trump to win, even if it was started by a Russian troll, the, the reason why we actually ended up having the meeting, he wasn't here and he didn't impact the meeting. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I remember that one. That was a really neat case. Uh, you know, when I say need, I mean somewhat unsettling uh, yeah, the way yeah, yeah. that it, you might be manipulated by somebody anonymously online. But, you know, for somebody who studies it like me, uh, need. Um, there was another one where they managed to get dueling protests of one that was pro-Islam and one that was anti-Islam scheduled for the same spot in Texas on the same day. And uh, luckily, the police were there in enough force to prevent violence. But where, you know, the two sides screaming at each other. And again, this was just generated by... Um, somebody in St. Petersburg who was messing with people. Um, the most interesting one, which gets mentioned in the report, um, is this uh, character that went by the name Tennessee Republican or 10GOP um, on Twitter, had over 130,000 followers and managed to really integrate himself into a lot of existing American political networks um, and got to the point where a lot of famous conservatives were retweeting him and uh, he even got cited in the L.A. Times and the Washington Post as one of the um, most interesting pro-Trump Americans, a voice that you have to listen to, before Twitter ended up figuring it out and shutting him down in 2017. And, but how did they figure it out? Because I think that, that that is the question that most Americans would want to know. It's, it's one thing to fool everybody because you can tweet from anywhere. And once you know the issue and you read enough stories, you can you know, adopt a position but how did Twitter figure out that he wasn't really an American? I think, so I don't fully know because they, they don't admit this openly. Um, but I think the best answer is they can tell where the Internet activity is coming from um, and uh, also what hours. So like a good way that, say, a tech company would spot um, something that's a bot, that's an automated program, not actually a person, um, is an easy way would be, say, on Twitter it's, uh, tweets like a hundred times an hour every hour and seems to be awake 24 hours a day. Like, that's a pretty good example <laughs> of, okay, you know, that's clearly not a person. Um, Unlike but, me, where I tweet only <laughs> like three or four times a day. Yeah. <laughs> Most Americans do yeah, not like, tweet. like a normal person, right? <laughs> right. And, and even the people who are totally addicted to the website sleep. Hmm. Okay. Well, so uh, I just think, so the way that they in... um the way that they seem to follow conservatives around and, you know, shut conservative speech down, how is it that they could have missed this this thing for so long? Because it just seems like they have a lot of people dedicated to watching uh, the political side of Twitter. Seems like one of them would have noticed this since it was tweeting as a conservative and they tend to clamp down on conservatives more. So that might, interestingly, almost as an inverse of it, be part of the reason why they were maybe wary of one of these more prominent accounts. So it's one thing to go after people that are, you know, basically nobody. Um, and uh, they regularly do bot purges and, um, you know, other with fake accounts and where they'll just try to purge them out all at once. Um, but uh, with a lot of anger over possibilities of social media companies censoring people with certain political views or censoring conservatives in particular, um, that for such a large account uh, as this one, you with over 100,000 followers, um, it makes them warier. And when they did actually shut it down, there were a lot of there was a lot of people that were upset that thought that it was basically somebody who was getting shut down just because they were an American with views that the people in charge didn't like, whereas it really was somebody who was pretending to be an American um, and would do things you know a lot of normal um, posts where let's say something that like you know any any American Republican might post of 
um, like, you know, oh, I, I really like the president or something. And then every once in a while, would just assert some strong pro-Assad propaganda. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so I love Trump. I love Trump. Every day I love Trump. And then one day I also love Assad. <laughs> but, but you yeah, know, just, but, um, so just slide it in. <laughs> so I love Trump. Here, take a look at cute animals. Uh, happy Fourth of July, everybody. I love the troops. You know, the sort of things that would look totally innocuous. Uh, and then... Uh, Assad never used chemical weapons. They're making that up. It's a lie. Ah, okay. Well, but again, I, I go back to what most Americans are asking. Any American who's just tuned into the show, hey, welcome. Friday, happy Friday to you. Uh, we have Nicholas Grossman, international relations professor at the University of Illinois. He's also a national security political analyst. And most Americans think when they hear this, they're like, okay. The Russians ran an influence operation. It was a bit more targeted this time. They utilized social media, something they've never done before. But was it impactful? Is this something that I should be seriously worried about or writing my congressman about? Or is this just, you know, something that they've done differently that we can combat if now that we know that it's an issue? Yes and no. Um, so in terms of impactful, something like, say, did it change the election, the outcome I have no idea. Nobody really knows. We would have to rerun the election without Russia doing anything and see what happens. You know, maybe Hillary wins, maybe Trump wins by more. I don't know. In terms of, though, did it have an impact? Absolutely. We're talking about it right now. And it has changed the perceptions of even the way, say, average people talk about stuff online of where um, someone's writing something and you disagree with them. And it's like, oh, you're just a Russian troll. And a lot of the time, most of the time, it's really just somebody who disagrees but kind of gives people a way of dismissing it. At the national security intelligence level, it's something that we sort of have some ideas of how to deal with. Um, for example, before the 2018 midterm election, the Internet Research Agency, the main Russian troll farm, um, got taken offline for maybe three, four days uh, in advance. And while nobody admitted it directly, um, that was almost certainly the U.S. military cyber commands with help from the NSA that were doing it. So... That part still works, but just last week, Twitter discovered a Iranian influence operation um, that had been operating where they hadn't noticed it, that was uh, trying to make various uh, pro-Iran talking points and to mm. um, attack Iran critics in the United States and try to discredit them. And because well, it's so easy to just reopen new accounts after they get shut down. Yeah, and, and Twitter needs to do something about that instead of attacking up. conservatives. I, I'm... I, I hate to cut you off, but I hear the music, which means this segment is over. Ah, You are fantastic. Thank you for joining us today, Professor Grossman. Yep, thanks for having me. All right, talk to you again soon. We'll be back with more and take your calls. Be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. As a newly married couple, Tony and I had many opportunities to nurture children. Our church, Bethany Baptist, embraced the concept that every child should be cared for by the church. Bethany had programs that reached out to the community, such as Vacation Bible School and fun programs for young people. Many of our friends at church had kids, so whether we were going to their houses or they were coming over to ours, we were always around children. Sometimes we'd even invite kids to spend a weekend with us so their parents could get away. We knew we would have children of our own eventually. 
Little did we know what God had in store for us. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. I love AFR. You say it's on the radio too? Here at American Family Radio, we know that many people find their audio entertainment in other places than the radio. So our programming is available with the AFR app on Apple and Android devices, through Amazon Alexa, and now available on Roku. I just love the podcasts. That too. American Family Radio, streaming our podcast, now available wherever you are. And we're on the radio. There's a particular reason why there is a Back to God radio show. It was about four years ago, God called me out of the pulpit and said, Dexter, I need you to go tell my people it's time for them to get back to God. Back to my morals, back to my values. This is the thing that you're supposed to do simply because you belong to the Most High God. It's the least that you can do for a God that loves you the way that He does. Time to get back to God. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central on Urban Family Talk. Military Matters. You can easily spot Jose Martinez riding the waves at Del Mar Beach. After all my accident, I never thought I would actually be happy to be honest with you. Jose was introduced to surfing in 2014 as part of his rehabilitation program at the U.S. Navy Hospital in Balboa. I'm enjoying life every single day and surfing. It's, it's, it's amazing. But before he found surfing, Jose was an Army specialist serving in Afghanistan. In 2012, he stepped on an IED and lost both his legs and his right arm. The reason why we laugh and smile at the end of the day is because guess what? We went through it and we survived and we're still here. In June, Jose plans to compete at the International Access Surf Competition in Oahu, Hawaii, an event that features other adaptive surfers pushing forward. We're here to push forward and try to live life as best as possible and I'm trying to live my dreams and I think I'm doing a great job of it. Kaylin McMacken, Fox 5 Sports. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I do not blame the president at all, Brian. I just got back from the border, and what I saw at the border will break your heart. It is the perverse incentives that we have in our country that we will not fix the laws that are causing this to happen. That's why the president is doing what he's doing. That's why the president is working hard, because he understands the pain of these families who believe in, in the hope that they can come here and that they will get a free pass, that they'll get to come into America without having to go through the rules and go through proper immigration channels. And they're putting themselves, and more importantly, they're putting kids as, as young as one and two and three months years old in danger to do this. We've got to fix this. This is on but Congress to fix. It's on us to do. Mm. Okay, that was Representative Collins who went down to the border to see the conditions that are going on down there. And you might have seen or heard some stories over the news. The liberals are screaming about how some of the children who have been brought into the country illegally have died in the process. Two children drowned. One was actually less than a year old. Uh, They drowned crossing the Rio Grande with adults who were not their family. And other children have died once they've been taken into custody because of dehydration and the awful conditions that they endure on the journey. And remember, if the people who are bringing them up aren't their family members, then... It makes it much more likely that these kids will endure even rougher conditions than kids who are coming up with their families will. So the children are being used as literally tickets into the United States, and this has to stop, which brings me to, uh, first of all, it's Open Line Friday. You can always call in. You can talk about the discussion we had earlier about the rap music, obviously uh, the Mueller endgame conversation we had with Professor Grossman. You can also, if you want, 
um, you know, opine on this whole, um, well, I hate to call it an immigration issue because that really kind of minimizes what's happening down there. And I'm just so loath to, to make it even possible for people to see this as quote unquote, an issue, meaning something that, you know, it just is what it is and the government will do something about it. And, you know, obviously you have weeds to pull and kids to take care of and dinner to cook and laundry to do. And you're, you you know, you gotta be thinking, man, there's just a whole lot of going on, but this is the, the, the information gathering and sharing on this program is meant to keep us sharp and alert to what's going on in our world and to kind of inform us as to what, what can we pray about? What can we ask God to move on? And this immigration issue, as often as I hit it, there's just always so much more to cover. But we had breaking news yesterday, um, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. So first off, the president made this huge announcement. He said he's taking emergency action. He is announcing escalating tariffs on uh, all Mexican goods. That includes the avocados, y'all. So if that's what your thing, you know, if that's your thing, I hope you have a pot in your garden that you're going to put in or in your raised garden that you're going to maybe try to grow your own avocados. I don't even know if our weather is conducive to that because Mexico is so much hotter temperature wise than here, but avocados included. The tariffs are going to start June 10th. They'll begin at 5% and they will increase 5% every single month, uh, July 1st, August 1st, September 1st. First, and that would be the 25% would be effective October 1st and continuing until Mexico takes action to stop the flow of illegal and Central American migrants. Now, we're talking about, uh, remember, 1,000 a day was a crisis. We were at about 1,100 a day, and now they're talking about 4,500 a day. If you heard Marie Espinoza of the Remembrance Project yesterday on the show, she said 4,500 a day is now the new standard. We're also talking about tens of thousands of these kids showing up. Uh, I, I believe it was earlier one day this week, they had 1,108 people show up in a group together at the border and turn themselves in. 1,108. Remember, that's a caravan. Did you see anything on the news about that? Did anybody say, oh, there's another caravan approaching? No, they just stopped reporting on it. It's like, you know, uh, no problem. Hey, your basement's flooding. Okay, now your whole basement is flooded and your first floor, the floorboards are popping up and the water is coming up through, you, you don't have electricity anymore. And you're like, well, I might as well just, you know, put on my swimsuit instead of calling somebody or getting out of there, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the situation we're in where we're going to utter destruction and nobody's talking about it anymore. So let me just give you this a little bit more information here. Um, so the president is going to implement these tariffs. And remember, we have 1.1 million jobs in Mexico. And it's easy for Mexico to stop the influx because they have one area of their border where this the crossings occur. Unlike us, we have four states with four different governors and four different political ideologies um, where they cross over. In Mexico, it's one area that they cross from Guatemala into Mexico. And so as a result of this announcement yesterday, I got the email from the White House yesterday in the evening you then have Mexican President Lopez Obrador asking for an emergency meeting today. He wants to meet about it because a 5% tariff is, is it already has the markets roiling. But if it gets to 10% or 15%, you're going to see American companies start, you know, considering maybe this plant can't be in Mexico anymore. Now, it doesn't mean they'll bring those jobs back to the United States. I want them to. But it means they'll look for other alternatives. Where can we get the same kind of cheap labor um, with, you know, the same kinds of costs for us, but not have to experience this tariff? This is serious business. The president should have done this like 
six months into office before we got to this place where we have 80,000 people in, in shelters and another 15,000 a month or so being released into the United States. This is a crisis. All right, let's go to the phones. 866-963-2037 if you want to join us. 866-963-2037. Happy Friday to you, Hyatt. Thanks for calling the show. Hello, thanks for having me on. Sure. So I'm calling because I wanted to go back briefly to the discussion you were having about rap music and the denigration of youth in America. Yeah. So there's one point that I was thinking about whenever you were talking that I think uh, I'd like to talk more on, which is that a lot of the rappers that you mentioned, the majority of them have this sort of hateful message. If you go and you look, and I am a listener of hip-hop music, if you go and watch videos of their live performances, the majority of all the audiences are white, and they're young white people. My little brother, he's uh, one of the listeners as well. And I think one thing you mentioned, that black pastor who said so many of his constituents do not mirror the type of representation of black people in this music, I think that's very much true. And I think part of what is shifting black rap music in this direction is what white America demands. We want, and when I say we, I mean white American youth, are taught that we want to see black men as violent, as hypersexualized, as drug users, as tattooed. And I think that comes from a lot of different places. I think it comes from a lack of integration in schools. I think it comes from a lack of interaction among people that don't look like each other. And I just wanted to point out that I think that the demand for this type of music is there, and the demand is coming from a large-scale misrepresentation of um, black America. That's what I think. Hmm. Okay, you make some interesting points. So what what would be... You're, if, if, like, if you were being interviewed, it's kind of like you're being interviewed now, Hyatt, why do you like listening to rap music? What do you get out of it? Well, I think that rap music um, is really a, about experience. And when you look at the, the foundation of rap music and the people who pioneered the genre, it's not been this sort of mumble rap, um, very shallow, and, uh, I mean, exactly what you're talking about. It's very conscious. It's talking about um, it's politics. It's um, it's talking. Yeah, well, about that's what it was. But things. you said you listen to to rap music now, and current rap music is basically lyrical pornography, lots of references to oh, sex and violence. I completely disagree. I think that there are several several musicians and artists who are making really really promising and conscious rap music today. So that's what you listen to, the conscious majority. rap, or do you listen to the rap yeah, that degrades absolutely. black women? I and, encourage and, anyone to listen to the most recent Kendrick Lamar release, the most recent. Yeah, Dave I would. I don't don't share their names here on this program. I would not encourage people to listen to that music because a part of consciousness means that those rappers have to hold other rappers accountable for the music that they're putting oh, out do. that degrades they women. Absolutely do. Again, but I they're not doing it to any to impact music. because their music is not the the tip of the spear. Their music is not the most popular. The Again, people that I don't you're think talking it's their about. Responsibility. Well, I it is. It's your America responsibility. It's their responsibility. Art. As a consumer, Hyatt, as a consumer of rap music, you and your brother being white being putting putting your dollars into this industry while not demanding that uh, Walmart and Tide not support the, um, the the degrading actors in this genre, 
you're contributing oh, to the proliferation of the, in the industry. I, I agree with well, you on but, that. Well, but 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 you're you're contributing to, to it. White America needs to demand a different music. They need to you demand need to demand content. it. And I think that we're you need to demand that, it. Um, you need respect, to demand it. I appreciate the music that I listen to, and I think that it's worthwhile. I'm I'm not listening to what. Yeah, you think but you're is, is but you're viable. not demanding the other music because as as a a person who actually listens to the genre and buys the music. You have more buy-in than I do because I don't listen to it. You actually know the names of artists. I'm calling on, I'm kind of getting on this show to talk about demanding different music and that our uh, white America yeah. is enjoying this misrepresentation. That's what I'm talking about. Of course. About. And, and you're, you're correct that white America is a huge driving economic force in the, the sale and purchase and popularity of rap music. I think I highlighted that when I was talking. But the pastor I mentioned, he's actually a white man. And he was oh, okay. at a black church and he he was talking about how different it is that the treatment of black women is is it's permissible to say I want to kill, rape or destroy a black woman and set that to a heavy beat. And that's a rap song. That's a, a million you know, or plus moneymaker. That's a chart top. Right. You say I, that I about a white woman, you're getting arrested. Of thousands of white teens who pay $50 to go to that concert. There's no sure. black kids at those concerts. Absolutely. And but so what, what I'm saying, what I'm famous. saying to you is in so there's some validity to the point that you're making and you're saying you listen to the more conscious rap music. But in the end, every person who is a a consumer of that genre has a responsibility to one, demand better content and two, not participate by going to the concerts of the other ones. Now, you're, you're saying that's you, you don't listen to the, the hardcore, explicit and degrading rap. Um, but I think it's just interesting that you're pointing out that it's produced by black people for white consumption. But I, I, I'm pretty sure, based on what I've seen, that blacks also consume rap music and it's targeted to black people, although white people are, are consumers. And white people don't actually act out and live in the ways that are depicted in the rap music, but black people Well, I would do. argue so that you, black people don't either. It is this, it is this yeah. game that is being played. Statistics don't support your assertion. Statistics show that blacks have a higher rate of incarceration, uh, low economic outcomes, low educational results and outcomes. The proportion of blacks Absolutely. who are in poverty does not mirror the white, the white community. There are many reasons, but rap music is actually a, a force in that area. And you can't deny that uh, black that children listen to rap music. Argument. You know, it's mm, music I don't. I, and I, I really high it. I'm going to have to let you go because I can't let you defend okay. rap music on the show. I do appreciate your opinion and I appreciate you calling in and, and your candor and your honesty. But I don't appreciate this kind of we're, do, we're going off into like a, a zone where you're equivocating and saying that rap doesn't have the impact that I just said it did. My show, my opinion, I win. Thanks for calling the show. Brian in Alabama. Happy Friday to you. Hey, Stacey, I just wanted to mm-hmm. uh, talk about the, you know, we got all the illegals that come here and they make, you know, they make a good paycheck. They're working hard. Okay, so I've actually worked with some of these people before. And what they do is they live on a minuscule amount of the money that they make. And then every paycheck, they go to Walmart or their local Western Union. They wire up 80, 90% of this money back home and i've heard i can't remember the numbers but i heard that that's starting all of that money leaving our economy is starting to really really hurt us what if there was some way to put a tax on that money if 
if he goes back to Mexico, okay, well, let's hit them with a with a twenty thirty percent tax if they're going to wire it to those those countries that are not supporting proper border crossings and use that money towards border security. Yeah, it, it absolutely is something that um, I think one of the states already does that, and they use the money to take care of the illegal immigrant costs that they they bear because they have illegal aliens in their in their state. Um, nationally, you know, the Democrats would get an injunction and the president hasn't even he has not signaled at all that he would do it. But lots of think tanks have talked about just a one percent tax on the remittances would bring in enough to fund the border wall. It's com- entirety well over twenty five billion dollars um, in like little or no time. So uh, the remittances that you're referring to actually comprise one third of the GDP of Mexico. And we have one percent of the El Salvadorans here. And I think she said 18 percent of the uh, Hondurans are living here in this country. So the other nations to the south of us will also have huge portions of their GDP funded by illegal aliens living here and passing the money back on that they work for. Um, I agree with you. It should be done. It should have been done right away so that the court case would already be at the Supreme Court so it could be found constitutional. But the president has not yet taken that action. And I think he should. Um, You make a great point. Thank you, Brian, for calling the show and happy Friday to you. I think we might. uh, I think we're like less than a minute. Um, So if you're in the call queue, you can hold on and we'll get to you after the break or. Um, if you're if you're checking out right now because um, you have other programming coming up, absolutely, God bless you from the heartland for the weekend. Next week, the president's going to be traveling to Europe uh, on a multi-state tour of, of European nations. And we're going to have Cassie Smedley of the RNC come on next week with us to discuss it. She'll be broadcasting or <laughs> actually calling into the show from Europe. She'll be traveling with the White House uh, team. And so we'll get some live updates from her. I also want to take this time to say goodbye to Demetrius. He was our associate producer from the very first moment that this show came to Urban Family Talk a few years ago, and he's continued on with us. Congratulations to you and Raisa on your engagement, and I will chat with you via text message and phone, Demetrius. Thank you for your time and your excellent work with us at Stacy on the Right. God bless you from the heartland if you're checking out. If you're sticking around, onenewsnow.com news and information up next. More Stacy on the Right after the break.